Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Well, we have a special treat as uh, I was, my plan was to be in Philippians tonight, but we're not doing that. Instead, I have a few preachers that I want you to hear from tonight as we do from time to time. You know, part of our our doing here at One Cause Church is we train preachers and give them opportunities to minister and see the gift develop, and so we're going to use tonight to do that. You're going to hear some great words tonight, um, but if, uh, and I have a, a, all of them are special, but I do have an extra special guest tonight um, who is a former student of homiletics in my class, and uh, this past semester, um, she was the premier preacher of the entire group of students, and so um, I asked her to come and share uh, with you tonight, And but I'm not going to let her start, because I don't want to follow her, so <laughs> somewhere down, I'll introduce her to you in just a little bit, but... Um, uh, and let's, can you bring up Proverbs chapter 15 for me, Miss Brooke? Chapter 15 and verse 23. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 23. It says, A man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season. Everybody say due season. How good it is. A word spoken in due season. I think that if you've lived any amount of time in your Christian walk, you have found this scripture to be quite true. That you had someone speak into your life just at the right moment. Maybe just a word of encouragement. Somebody just a compliment even where it lifted you up. It strengthened you. It encouraged you. It helped you to push forward. Am I talking to the right people tonight? Just like, out of nowhere it seems, God just spoke that word that in due season. And I found that to be very true from my own life. And uh, I, I can remember one particular time, it was actually over at our house here, we were having our meeting, our Sunday morning meeting with uh, all of our volunteers and staff, and that's where we talk about the service and go over you know, the order of the service, we pray together and eat donuts and stuff, so... Um, I, I was, for some reason, I don't remember what I was struggling with, but I was just, I'd come here, and I know that you don't imagine that your pastor has any struggles, but um, I do, and I was coming in that day, and I was just kind of heavy and, and kind of down on myself, you know, just, I don't know, I was just kind of in a funk, and, and I walked in, to the house, and of course, you know, I wasn't going to express that to anyone. I smiled at everybody, and I walked, I was walking back toward the kitchen to get some coffee, and um, Josh Stone King was standing there drinking a cup of coffee. I don't know if you know this story, Josh. Have I ever told you this? Well, and as, as, as I walked by him, he just put his hand on my shoulder just like this and said, you're a good man, Eric Holler. And everything changed in that one moment for me. Yeah. Like, I got so encouraged, and I got 
the right perspective on life, and I realized it was God speaking, saying, hey, 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 hey. Here's the truth. Here's what I feel about you. And I don't think Josh even knew the impact of the, the dynamic moment that took place there, but I did. Now he knows. Just little things like that. A word in due season. Robert was at a train station and he was in line to board the train and there was a big crowd at this train station of people and they were trying to get their ticket from the conductor to, um, for the sleeping car. And Robert was in that line and he was actually next in line and he described this platform that went up to the car and there was a, just a narrow gap between the platform and the car and as he's waiting there at the very end of that platform, the crowd is pressing on him and so his body is up against the train. And in just a moment, the train began to move and Robert was twisted off of that platform and falling down in that crack and helpless to do anything about it, suddenly he felt a hand grab his collar and pull him up to safety. And he turned around and said, Edwin Booth. Edwin Booth didn't know who the kid was. He said, thank you so much. You bet. That was it. The next few months, President Abraham Lincoln was shot and killed assassinated by Edwin Booth's brother, John Wilkes Booth. John, Wilkes, John and Edwin had a great rift between them because Edwin was a staunch supporter of Lincoln, and we know John Wilkes Booth was not. And so in one night, Edwin Booth lost his president, he lost his brother, and his family name. And Edwin Booth fell into a deep depression. So distraught was he that his friends became very concerned about him that they took turns on watch with him through the day and through the night, afraid that he would take his life if somebody wasn't there. And he probably would have. But the story that happened at the train station came back around. And it came through his friends who found out who the young man was. The young man that thanked Edwin Booth that night was none other than Robert Todd Lincoln, Abraham Lincoln's son. And it was at that moment that Edwin Booth heard those words that a spark of life came back into him again. And he began recovery from that depression and in the next few eight months, by that encouraging word, that encouraging moment, that due season word, he came fully out of it and went on to live a normal life. All you need is that word. All you need to give is that word. Someone is waiting for you, someone is passing by. Somebody is in your life, your sphere of influence. Somebody is working next to you. Somebody is in your house. Somebody that you know. Somebody that you may not know. Yeah. 
needs a word in due season. And if you'll just be faithful to let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, the scripture says you will know how you ought to answer every man. And believe me, when you give it, it will come back to you. Amen. 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 Praise God. Now I would like to call on um, Miss Jonna Gray. I've asked her to come and share something with you. Our lady pastor and our one cause, Irving Campus. Would you please give her a big hand? Amen. Um, Let's just get right into it. Uh, I'll be taking my passage, or one of them, out of Psalm 7326. It's one of my favorites, and it says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, The Byzantine Empire was one of the most well-defended empires of its time, if not of any time in history. And uh, really it was due to the way that they would construct their cities. Uh, they had amazing city-states that, with amazing walls that um, were so high and thick and strong. Um, they also would strategically build their cities in places like mountains so that they could have the advantage. And they would even build it to where uh, their men would uh, be able to kill one man would be able to kill 10 of the enemy at once. So they had a numerical advantage, an ge- architectural advantage, geographical advantage. They just always had the advantage. And uh, that was the first reason that they would always succeed in their defense. But the second one really came to bear with one of their cities named Dubrovnik. Make a friend of that, Dubrovnik. And, um, and this city uh, was on the side of a mountain. It also had a a port that led right into the city. Uh, But they uh, had an enemy uh, named the Saracens, and uh, the Saracens came to attack their city. And not only just kind of in a, you know, a come and go just once. No, the Saracens came to take over. And they began to lay siege to Dubrovnik, driving them back into their walls, And this siege is, many of you know, sieges don't last a week. They they last one month, two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, seven months, eight months, up until 15 months was this city under siege. And they had amazing defenses and they were necessary, and it was really quite brilliant what they did, you know, double walls and, and, and everything, but that really wasn't the key to their success. Anybody can win a battle, but in order to win a siege, you must also have supply. And Dubrovnik had amazing supply. They had a storehouse where they had months and months and years of supply. They had a fresh water source within their city walls. And they had their port where they could have help at any time. Amazing was this supply that this was the key to their success. So after a siege of 15 months, Dubrovnik prevailed. And they became the one city to never be taken. 
never be taken. Their defense was necessary, but the key to their success was their supply. And I think, you know, many times we have these contingency plans when trouble comes, and and we start to plan for them. You know, um, if you're sick in your body and you say, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to the doctor today and I might not see my full healing, but if I can just get a good report. Or, you know, they're doing cutbacks at my job, and if I can just have enough money in my account, then I'm going to be okay. Or, you know, my marriage is in trouble, but if we can just make it this week, then I'll be good. Or if I can just have this or that, then I'll be okay. But the thing is, is that when you're under siege and when you feel like you're backed in a corner and you feel like you can't see the end, all of those well-made plans become irrelevant because it just becomes a waiting game. And it's only a matter of time. And tonight, I think you know that your defense is the Lord. He is your great defender. And that is necessary and brilliant and beautiful. But you also need to know that your God is your supply and the key to your victory. And he supplies you with the strength of your heart. He supplies you and is your portion forever. He not only is your shield, but he is your exceeding great reward. And tonight my prayer for you is what Paul prayed for us in Colossians. I'll read out of the message in Colossians 1. He says, I pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul. Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength that God gives. It is the strength that endures the unendurable and spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in everything bright and beautiful he has for us. You need the strength. You need the supply to see the bright and beautiful. And tonight, he is your defender, and he is your supply. Thank you. Wow, what a word, man. And she didn't even take homiletics. She was pretty good. Well, we might as well have the other half. Pastor Brian, come up here and bring a word, would you? (laughs) All right, well, tonight we're going to be in in one of my favorite verses of all time, uh, a theme that I want to bring to you. It's uh, Proverbs 25.2. Proverbs 25.2 for anybody who's flipping through their their phone real quick to get there. Um, Proverbs 25.2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings is to search out a matter. I love it because it's like challenge accepted, right? Uh, One of my favorite holidays was Easter, you know, because you have Easter, Easter eggs, you know. Go and find the Easter eggs. I love, Brian Regan has this joke about how he wants to get tattoos of Easter eggs, but he doesn't want the tattoo artist to tell, them where, tell him where. <laughs> All right, man. You know, I mean, hey, everybody's got to have a dream. Go get yours, you know. The, uh, 
But for people who really enjoy hide-and-seek, uh, a, a new game uh, came out in 1999, a, a kind of a, a revisiting of an old arcade classic. It was Donkey Kong 64. And for aficionados of the game, they were called speedrunners uh, because their goal was to try to get through the game as quickly as possible, gathering all 976 banana coins or rainbow coins, which were the most valuable in the game, right? Um, and, and after a while, once that was the known quantity, it was not just a matter of collecting them all, it was a matter of how fast you can get all of them, right? That's why they were called speedrunners, you know? Because in that enclave of society, I guess that's how you got girls. And I'm not knocking it, right? I mean, you know, do your thing, man. You know, work what you got, you know? So good for you. And, uh, but an amazing thing about the game is that uh, last year, something new happened, Right? In the static, unchanging world of video games, because the game was created and released and that was it, last year there was something unique. The game had become, for those uh, people proficient in playing it, so much about just get to the end, get to the end, right? You know it's out there, just, just gather the things, gather as much as you can, as quickly as you can, and get to the end. And then one day an individual said, well, let me, let me take a closer look. And he started studying the, the, the game save data on, on the game. And then through that, he was able to kind of analyze the source code, and he found a 977th coin. After 17 years, a new coin was discovered. Now, it's remarkable because Easter eggs had been placed in video games all of the time by programmers, but they're usually not integral to the game, right? They're usually like some kind of like minor detail off to the side. It's not that important or terrible to gameplay. But here is an actual Easter egg, a, a hidden aspect of the game that actually would dictate who would be the best at it, right? Who would be the most successful? And for so many years, people had just accepted this limitation of this is the number of coins, so get as many as you can, as fast as you can, that they had missed that there was a 977th coin the entire time. It took someone taking the time to take a look, to seek, to see if there was something more. Not just to speed through, not just to get to the end, not, oh, God, can the race be over yet? There's got to be something more, right? There's got to be something more. And so he examined the source code because he knew there had to be something more, and he found there was indeed something more. There is something more for you tonight. There is always something more with God. Whatever you need, you can find in him. Because all promises in him, Christ Jesus, are yes and amen. And when he walked the earth, he said, if you seek, you will find. When he walked the earth, he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And then Paul comes to tell us that there's been this mystery that's been hidden through the ages, but is now has been revealed, and that is Christ in us, the Gentiles. That God's plan was to save all. That it's right there, out in the open, for anyone who wants to, to go and get it. But you got to look. you got to look, and you got to take the time. And praise God, he didn't leave us in the dark. Because while his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts, he gave us the source code right here. All we have to do is take a look. All we have to do is search out the promises of God that are in him already, yes and amen. So what do you need tonight? That's my question to you. What do you need tonight? Because if you seek it, your God will provide it for you.
Praise God. You know, with that dynamic duo in Irving, they're, they're liable to catch that city on fire, huh? <laughs> Fantastic. Thank both of you very much. Okay, well, now I want to introduce you to uh, the student uh, that I spoke of earlier. Now, I did tell her, you're going to get 10 minutes while everybody else gets five, because you are our special guest. And so uh, I would like for you to please give a good one cause church welcome to Miss Carolyn Brooks. Well, good evening. I did not know that I was the only one who got to do a 10-minute sermon, but I want to thank you, Pastor Eric, for the opportunity and the honor to speak before all of you here. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We all know the story of Jonah. It's a go-to Sunday school story, but it's more than just a story. And I want to bring you some of the truth in that. And up to this point, God has come to Jonah and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and give those wicked people my message. Jonah ran in the opposite direction, almost died because of his disobedience, but God was merciful, and after three days and nights in the belly of an aquatic animal, Jonah ended up safe on the shore, albeit quite smelly. Then we pick up in Jonah chapter 3, and God comes to Jonah again and says, I want you to go to Nineveh, and this time Jonah obeys. What I want to talk about tonight is your message. Jonah had a message for the Ninevites, and you have a message for the world. Your message needs to have two effects. The first is conviction. The second is compassion. And I'm titling the message, Speak the Truth in Love. So let's read Jonah 3, 1 through 10. I'll be reading out of the New King James Version. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The first effect of your message should be conviction. 
In verse 5, we see that the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth. Jonah was given a message. It was short, direct, and full of doom. There was nothing good in this message. There was no encouragement, nothing uplifting. There was no hope in this message. But the people of Nineveh didn't hear it that way. What they heard was Holy Spirit quickening them, saying, maybe, just maybe, if we turn away from the evil that is bringing this upon us, God might spare us. April 18th, 1775. It was a quiet night. Nearly every man was sleeping peacefully in his bed. But there was one man who was outside by a horse, pacing restlessly. He kept glancing at a church, looking for something, anything. And then he saw it, two flickers of light from a far-off window. Immediately, this man jumped on his horse and rode off into the night, carrying with him an urgent and life-changing message. This man was Paul Revere. On the eve of the Battle of Lexington, the battle that kick-started the Revolutionary War, this spirited man had a mission to warn others of the impending British Army. And his words had effect. The following morning, as the British Army marched into Lexington, expecting a complete and unchallenged victory, they were met instead with a militia fighting for independence and liberty. Eventually, the British fled the scene, and the war that changed history began. You have been entrusted with the most powerful, the most amazing, the most unbelievable message of all time, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a child of God, you are called to preach this gospel wherever you go, both in word and in deed. And when you do, people will be cut to the heart just like those who heard Peter's message in Acts 2.37. You do your part, and Holy Spirit will do his. Don't be afraid. Even when you don't know what to say or how to say it, take that step in faith, and you won't be disappointed. Holy Spirit will speak through you. When you give the Lord an open door, he's going to walk through it. The second effect of your message needs to be compassion. In verse 10, we see that God saw the Ninevites' works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The Hebrew word for relent in this passage is nacham. Everybody try that out. Nacham. You got to say like you got a cat with a fur ball. Nacham. Its primary meaning is to comfort, to have compassion. Jonah preached the message. Holy Spirit convicted. The people repented, and God had compassion and relented. See, what started as a message of doom ended with the compassion from a God with the Father's heart. Throughout the scriptures, we see that God is compassionate and merciful, His desire is that everyone receive his compassionate love and that no one should perish. As has been mentioned, I am a CFNI student. And so during the breaks, I usually go home to Maryland to see my family. I went home for Christmas break, and I flew in on a Saturday. And the following Monday, my family got some news, and it wasn't the good kind. 
one of the girls that I had grown up with from about 8 to 12 in church was driving home from school to see her family, and she was rear-ended and died. And it was a shock to everyone who knew her and her family, and it just was unbelievable because they were such a beautiful example of the love of God and a light to everyone that knows them. But my family wasn't particularly heartbroken. It was, it was really hard, and we struggled with it, but we weren't close-knit with the family, so it wasn't like losing one of our own. But we had several friends who were close to the family, and they were completely devastated. One of my friends from high school, her name is Lydia, she was like a sister to this girl, and so she was beyond broken. And the morning after the accident, my mother came and said to me, you know, Lydia's really hurting. You need to give her a call and talk to her. And I said, okay, I will. But inside, I'm thinking, I really don't want to do this. Like, this is not how I wanted to spend my break. I don't even know what to say or how to comfort her. I mean, I've had grief, but not like this. But one thing I have learned is that my mother is always right. I learned that the hard way, and so at this point, I just gave up fighting her altogether. But I did know that this was the right thing to do, too. So I went ahead and gave my friend a call. And the moment that she picked up the phone, my heart broke for her. And most of the phone call, I was just listening to her get her heart out. But both of us were in tears by the end. And we got off the phone, and I've been praying for her and loving on her. And then the funeral came, and we went to the funeral. And there were 1,600 people at this memorial service. That's how much impact the girl had. And um, so I knew there was no way I was going to see my friend unless I texted her. So I texted her and said, hey, I'm here if you want a hug. She came right over, and she gave me a hug, but it was kind of awkward because there's, like, chairs and people, so we're kind of like, hug. But we hugged for, like, five minutes. And she's crying, and I'm crying, and she's blubbering stuff, and I'm just trying to comfort her, and I'm agreeing with the pain she's feeling. And I was just trying to tell her, look, I love you. I'm with you. You're not alone. And finally, there came that moment where she went, that moment of peace, that moment of comfort, that moment of it's going to be okay. And shortly after that, she went to her seat, and I sat back down, and I'm just waiting for the service to start. And I'm already a wreck. Like, I was so glad I didn't wear any makeup because I was completely crying. And God says to me, this is why you're here. This is why you're here at this funeral service. And this is why I brought you back to Maryland for such a time as this to comfort your friend, Lydia. Your message is powerful, and your message is mighty, but your words and your life have to come from a place of compassion. Paul says that you have to speak the truth in love. Without love, everything that you do or say means absolutely nothing. The goal of your message, the reason that you're still here on this earth, is to draw people into the compassion of the Father and the love of Jesus Christ. Let your words and your life flow from compassion and for compassion. This is why you're here. So the message that is written on your heart by the Father needs to bring two things. Conviction. Speak the truth with the confidence that Holy Spirit will touch the heart of every hearer. 
and compassion. Love those around you so that they may enter into the fullness of Jesus' mercy and grace. Thank you. Well, you think she learned anything? Man. How many think we should maybe have her back sometime? Would it be all right if we do that? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you, Carolyn. Wonderful. Praise God. Have you been encouraged tonight? We have one more. Can you take one more? Heather is not the one, but Jeremiah is. So... <laughs> Just wanted to have a little freak out factor there. You want to help me preach it? Come on. Well, it's good to go after everybody else. I'm like the old McConaughey. All right, all right, all right, guys. Let's talk about Jesus and things. All right, here we go. All right, let's. It's been a long day at work, guys. Here we go. We all we all like books to some sort. We always have. We probably all have a favorite author, um, and and let's not just throw God out there. I love the book. We'll talk about that in a second. But in in life, there's there's books that we've read that that have touched our lives. Um, there's um, Shakespeare, who's written these amazing plays. There's Arthur Doyle, who wrote Sherlock Holmes. Uh, there's the person that wrote The Glittery Vampires. There's, <laughs> there's, these, there's these biographies. There's, there's these funny stories that comedians have written. There's these dramatic plays. There's these intense dramas, these murder mysteries. There's these stories of these authors that that, that we've read, and it's, it's pulled us in, and we've associated ourselves with the, the book. One of my favorite books um, was Night by Eli Wiesel, who was a Jew who survived the Holocaust. Another one of my favorite books is the biography of Drew Brees, because it brought the Saints a Super Bowl. All right, all right, all right. And so we have these books that we've read that have these authors that have impacted us and touched us from reading their words. And we have in Hebrews 5, 9, and being made perfect, Jesus, He became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey Him. The author of eternal salvation. Your eternal salvation as soon as you believed. And it's a great book about you and what you're doing and where you're going, and he's already wrote it. But let me tell you what the word salvation means in the Greek, which are actually chapters of the book of your life that's already been written about your victory. You see that word salvation in the Greek. Pull that up a little bit more. Remember, I can't see, guys, so we got to get it bigger. These are the chapters of the book. 
from the author of your eternal salvation. You have been delivered. He has preserved you. You are safe. You are saved. Another chapter in your book for eternal salvation from the definition of salvation is deliverance from the molestation of enemies. Another chapter in the book, in an ethical sense, that which concludes to the soul's safety or salvation. Here's another chapter, messianic salvation. Here's another chapter, salvations as the present possession of all true Christians. Here's another chapter in your story that Jesus has already paid for, your future salvation. Here is another chapter, the sum of benefits and blessings which the Christians redeemed from all earthly ills will enjoy after the visible return of Christ from heaven in the consummation of eternal kingdom of God. God has already written your book. Jesus said it was finished on the cross, and in the blood that was dripping, he dipped his pen in, and he started writing your name. He started writing your novel. He started writing your book. And if you look to the person on your left, if you look to the person on your right, you are seeing the greatest novels ever written in humanity because God has already written your story. And your story says that you're safe. Your story says that you've been protected. Your story says that you have been brought out of something. You've been placed into something. That you are healed. That you are whole. That you are restored. And it's time for you to start agreeing with the author of your eternal salvation. Amen? Appreciate it. Good. You're good. He got to preach twice tonight. Worked all the way up to 7 o'clock or so t- today. So. This guy's he's a trooper, huh? Praise God. Ah, hallelujah. Let's stand together tonight. I would like to uh, call all those who brought a message. Just If you guys would just come up here for a moment. Um, I want to... We're going to dismiss here, but I think there's some people here tonight that have some prayer needs, and just going to have you here at this moment where they can come and you can agree with them in prayer and pray for them, whatever it may be, okay? So they'll be here if you want uh, somebody to just agree with you in prayer. Now, these guys don't pray weak, wimpy prayers, all right? When they pray, stuff happens because they pray in faith, and that's the only way we pray is in faith. The great Gordon Lindsay, the founder of Christ for the Nations and the voice of healing ministry years ago wrote a book called Prayer That Moves Mountains and he said this, prayer does not make faith work. On the contrary, faith makes prayer work. So your faith in God is the key because if prayer was what made faith work well let's just admit we are outdone by the Muslims when it comes to prayer huh as as well as some other religions that are pray 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 and yet when there's not faith in God like you know It's not about the amount of prayer. Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees who have lots of words when they pray. Repetitious over and over. Pray in faith. 
Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. One of my heroes, Brother Kenneth Copeland, said somebody was talking to him about seeing miracles in their life and just encouraging him. Brother Copeland, you got to pray through. You got to pray through. You got to pray through. He said, Yeah. It goes like this In Jesus' name, I'm through. <laughs> I like that. Amen. It's by faith. Thank you, Father, for this glorious night. Thank you, Lord, for these precious vessels who have poured out the treasure of the Word of God to us. And Lord, we have received this Word, these words of encouragement, these words of life, these words that build, these words that grow us, God, that go deep and take root and, and, and bear fruit unto you. So we pray that that word will do only what you can cause it to do. As Paul said, I planted, another guy watered, but God gave the increase. Give the increase tonight, God. Increase this word in us. Increase in us tonight so that, Lord, our lives are expanded in you. Thank you, Father, for meeting needs tonight. As people gather here in prayer tonight, I thank you, Lord, that you hear them and that you meet their needs. As John has said tonight, not only are you our defense, you are our supplier. Thank you for that. Lord, bless your people now as they go from here tonight. I thank you that they go in grace and peace, that it be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God, that when they go, favor goes before them. It's a shield, as the psalmist said, that surrounds them. And I thank you, Lord, that that shield of favor, Lord, blesses them and it makes their way prosperous and they have good success. As Solomon said, so shall you find favor and good understanding in the sight of God and man. And tonight when they go home and the lights go out and they lay down on their beds tonight, that they will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O oh Lord, make them dwell in safety. Bless them, their children, and peace be upon their homes. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine up on you and be gracious to you and give you peace. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.